Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Good? Awesome. So glad you're here today. We're going to, um, we're concluding a series of messages today that we've been, been in for six weeks, and uh, this has all been in the book of Revelation. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to the book of Revelation. It's the very last book of the Bible, one of the two easiest books in the Bible to find, Revelation and Genesis. And uh, it's right there in the back end of it. So if you, if you forget and go to the front end, don't, just don't be embarrassed. Just flip the Bible over and turn it and go to the back. And uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. Um, the scripture will be on the screen and, and uh, you can look at it up there. Today we're talking about the final church out of the seven churches. And this is the church at Laodicea, which is a kind of funny name. But, but that was the name of the town. And there was a church there in that town, Laodicea. Now... If you were here last week, we talked about the church at Philadelphia, and you'll remember that I told you that the church of Philadelphia, the reason that letter was different than all the other letters was that that was the only letter where Jesus had no complaint against the church. Everything that he had to say to the church at Philadelphia was positive, it was encouraging, and it was saying, y'all are doing a good job, and I know times are tough, and I'm going to be here for you, and all that kind of stuff. This letter is the exact opposite of that. This is the only church out of the, out of the seven that Jesus has uh, nothing good to say about at all. He, he just tells them that they're, they're pretty rotten folks is what he kind of says. And so it's a, hard, it's a hard letter to read. It's a hard, there's some of the harshest words that Jesus ever speaks in Scripture, I think, are found in this letter. And so, so we're going to spend some time on that today. And I wanna, we're going to pray here in just a second before we read the Scripture. And I want to encourage you, especially if you are a person that's been in church for, for a long time. Maybe you're here every week and you've been in church your whole life and you were a pastor's kid or a, you know, a deacon's kid and you just, uh, you've been in church forever. Like me, that's, that's who I was. I was in church from nine months before I was born and, and we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and if they had a revival, we went to every night of the revival, we were always in church. And I want to especially encourage you to listen closely to what this letter has to say. Because I think sometimes those of us who are church people, and we've been there, and we've done it all, and we've collected money for this offering and that offering, and we've served here and there, sometimes we begin to think that we've got it all together. And this letter was written specifically for people like us. So I want to say a, a prayer and, and ask God just that he will open up our hearts and to hear what he has to say today. And then we're going to read the scripture and then we're going to talk about it. So, uh, so if you will, if you'll bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful that you've given us another opportunity to meet together here in this place, meet together with our, our friends and our family and and uh, we want to be sure today that we hear your voice. Lord, I ask that you would do away with any distractions that would keep us from hearing you today, that our focus would be completely on your word and on what you have to say to us. Lord, that if you need to break our hearts today, that you would break our hearts. If you need to encourage us today, that you would encourage us. God, we want to only do what you want us to do, and only be the people you want us to be. And so we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, uh, look at Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. If 
you don't have your Bibles, look up here on the screen. And I'll stop after a couple verses and talk for a minute, but, but we're going to do the main talking after I read this. And so it says this, Revelation 3.14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, let me stop here just for a second. The beginning of this letter begins just like all the other letters, where Jesus starts by identifying himself. And if you go back and read all seven letters, the other six before today, you'll remember that he identifies himself differently in each letter. And I think it's interesting that he chooses to identify himself in this letter as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Amen is a, a, a Greek transliteration of an old Hebrew word which means truth. And so what Jesus is saying there is, I'm the truth, and I'm about to tell you the truth. And it reminds me of, you know, that Sears commercial where the guy says, somebody better get an umbrella because it's raining cold, hard facts up in here. That's, that's what Jesus is telling the church at Laodicea. If you're not ready to hear the truth, you better get an umbrella because it's about to come raining down on your heads, all right? Verse 15, he says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom, whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. When I read that verse, I stand at the door and knock, I don't know how many of y'all watch the Big Bang Theory, but uh, immediately I think of Penny, 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 you know, like Sheldon knocks on the door. But that's not the kind of knocking that we're talking about. We're not talking about, I think sometimes we read that verse and we see Jesus as like this needy guy. Oh, I just hope y'all open the door and let me in. That's not the kind of knocking we're talking about. We're going to get to that at the end and I'm going to tell you what that verse is talking about, what type of knocking we're dealing with. And then verse 21, it says this, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When, uh, when you're a kid, or if you've raised kids, you'll remember that one of the things kids do is they play make-believe. And uh, in, in fact, if you read uh, psychology books and stuff, they tell you that uh, that, that is a, a, a healthy thing for kids to do, is to play, to pretend they're somebody else, and that kind of a thing. And and if you're, uh, if you're really serious about it as a kid, you'll even dress up. And both my girls, when they were, when they were younger, they had a, a whole box in their closet full of just dress-up clothes. And it was like people, you know, little girls' old uh, dance recital dresses and stuff. And so they could come out looking like a princess and all that stuff. Well, well my friend Ben Patad, I don't know how many of y'all remember Ben. Ben used to play guitar in our band here. He now leads worship at a church that, that meets in downtown Greenville. And Ben is a gigantic person. He's about six foot five and real broad shoulder, just a really big guy. But he wasn't always that big. He used to be small and he didn't have a beard. And Ben was four years old. Ben, uh, ben got really excited about 
about a guy. And I'm going to show you a picture of the guy that Ben got excited about. Have you, do y'all remember this, this guy right here? If y'all remember this guy right here, one of the greatest actors of all time, that's, uh, that's Ernest, right? Ernest P. Worrell. His real name is Jim Varney. But uh, he, he, he released a string of movies back in the 80s, which will go down in history of being awesome. And by the way, just so you'll know, when Sherry and I were dating in college, for one of our dates, I actually took her to see Ernest Scared Stupid. So you know what I think about Ernest. But, and, and she stayed with me. I knew that she was going to be my wife if she would go with me to see Ernest Scared Stupid. But when Ben was four years old, he had seen probably Ernest Goes to Camp, and he, he really wanted to be Ernest. And so he got a hold of an old vest that, that used to belong to Jane, and, and, uh, and he had a cap that he would wear, and he would wear a T-shirt under it, and he would pretend to be Ernest. Now, that's funny and all, but here's what you got to understand. Ben went to 4K almost every single day dressed as Ernest. He, and Jane, if Jane was cool about it, if that's what you, and, and Jane told me, said that if he had a T-shirt on that had anything printed on it, he would turn it around backwards or turn it inside out because Ernest didn't have anything written on his shirt. And so that was one of the things that, that Ben would do is he would pretend to be Ernest, and, and, uh, and, and, and that was kind of what he w- was doing there. Well, in, in this verse of Scripture, in, in verse 15 of, of Revelation 3, I want to read it to you again. I think it's interesting what Jesus says to the church here. Revelation 3.15, he says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. It's almost like Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea, you aren't really doing church, you're just playing dress up. You're pretending to be a church. See, when ben, when ben was four years old and, and he would go to, to his 4K class dressed as Ernest, he wasn't really Ernest. He, he wasn't really Ernest Goes to Camp or Ernest Scared Stupid or Ernest Saves Christmas. He was Ben Patat who would grow up and play the guitar and lead worship at a church. He wasn't really Ernest. He was pretending to be Ernest. And, and what the church at Laodicea was doing without even realizing it is that they were coming to church every week, they were sitting back, but they weren't really a church, they were playing church. They were pretending to be a church. It's what today that I would call, the church at Laodicea was a group of what I would call cultural Christians. They were cultural Christians. See, we live in, I haven't done the research on this, but I would almost bet my house that Greenville County, South Carolina, has more churches per square mile than any other county in America. Now, there may be one in Texas that has more because Texas has got a bunch of churches. But we have churches everywhere up here. And the thing about living in Greenville County, South Carolina, living in this culture is that being a Christian and saying you're a part of a church is really a good thing. People expect you to be a part of a church. And so you, you have folks that, that, they, uh, that, that maybe they come to church, you know, once every, maybe once a month, maybe twice a month if they really get crazy. You know, they give some money here or there, but they're really not going, they're really not going to become like one of those spiritual wackos and give 10% like the preacher's always telling you you're supposed to. That's just way out there. And, and, then, and then you have folks that, 
that they, they participate here and there. And, if, and then they will tell people, yeah, that's my church. It's always funny. I'll run into people and they'll say, hey, I met somebody who goes to your church. And I'll be like, oh, cool. Who is it? And they'll tell me who it is, and it's somebody that I know, and it's somebody that I haven't seen in our church in over a year or two years. But they just told them, yeah, I go to that church that Cliff pastors out there at the High School Freedom Fellowship. And so they're telling them they're a part of it, but they're not a part of really of what's going on. And the church at Laodicea was a church full of people who were doing that, who were kind of going and observing and kind of going and sitting around and just checking it out. But they didn't have a growing relationship with Christ. They weren't really experiencing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, how did Jesus know this? How did he know? Well, you're saying, okay, Cliff, duh, he's Jesus. He knows everything. He just said in verse 14 that he's the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. But there's another way Jesus says that he knew that this church at Laodicea was just playing church and not really a church. In verse 15, the first three words right there, first four words, we see it. He says this, I know your deeds. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. Now, I want to I be sure, if you don't pay attention to anything else I say today, pay really close attention to this, because this is the kind of thing I'm about to talk about, that if you walk out of here confused by this, you're going to tell people when you go to Panera after church that I preach something that's not in the Bible. So listen close. Your deeds do not save you, okay? Let's be clear on that. You cannot be good enough to take care of your sin. All of us have sinned, every single one of us. If you're a sinner and you're not afraid to admit it, if you have sinned, raise your hand and say, yes, Cliff, I have sinned. Me too. My, I'll raise both of my hands because I've really sinned, all right? So all of us have sinned. And the Scripture tells us that we can't be good enough to be forgiven of our sin. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Just look at this on the screen. It says this. This talks about what it is that forgives us of our sin. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. So nothing you can do. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So, so the Scripture makes it clear. You can't be good enough, you can't go to church enough, you can't give enough to the church, you can't be nice enough to enough old ladies and take in stray dogs to, to be forgiven of your sin. But at the same time, deeds do not save you, but your deeds are the best evidence of whether or not you have been saved. Let me say that again. Your deeds cannot save you, but your deeds are the best evidence of whether or not you have been saved. So when Jesus says to the church at Laodicea there in verse 15, when he says, listen, I know that you're neither cold or hot, and here's how I know, because I know your deeds. I can see the way you live your life. I can see the things you do, and I can see the things you choose not to do. And Jesus says, because I know your deeds, I can tell that you are not saved. It, James, James 2.26, when it talks about how important deeds are and, and, and living for Jesus, it says this, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So if you, if you say you're a Christian, and to you being a Christian is showing up here and coming to church and all that kind of stuff, but there's nothing in your life that demonstrates that you're a follower of Christ. If Jesus looked at your life and he looked and said, I know your deeds, if that's you, the scripture says your faith is dead. 
You can say you've got faith. You can talk about having faith. But if, if your deeds don't back it up, it says that your faith is dead. Even after, remember I just read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and it says, for by grace are you saved. But look at what verse 10 says right after verse 9. Verse 10 says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God saves us by his grace, by Jesus dying on the cross. That's how we're saved. And because we're saved by that, then he expects us to do something with what we've been given, to do something with the grace we've been saved by. See, the church at Laodicea was a church that if they had been arrested for being Christians, they would not be able to hold them in prison because there was not enough evidence to hold them. And I want to ask you this question. We're going to have a time to respond at the end of the message, but I want to go ahead and get you thinking about this. I want you to think right now about your life. If you were honest, if someone came to your house tonight and they arrested you for being a Christian, for being a follower of Jesus, would you be convicted of that? Or when they had the trial, would they say, we can't find any evidence that this person is a follower of Jesus, so we're going to throw this case out. That's what was happening at the church of Laodicea. So what does Jesus say to them about this? This is a pretty big charge that he brings against them. And look what he says in verse 16. Now, I told you at the beginning that Jesus speaks some of the most harsh words that you'll ever hear him say in Scripture to this church. And listen to what he says in verse 16 to this church. This is harsh. This is hardcore. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. There are times in Scripture that people make Jesus angry. There are times in Scripture where people make Jesus sad. But the church at Laodicea made Jesus sick. Jesus looked at the church at Laodicea and said, I know your deeds, and I want you to know that you make me sick. The fact that you call yourself a church, and that you're, you, don't, you don't even care enough about me to really be committed to me, and you don't even care enough about me to be opposed to me. You're trying to walk down this middle road here and trying to keep everybody happy, and Jesus said, and that makes me sick to my stomach. And I think we need to pay really close attention to what that means. When Jesus says that this church makes them sick, when, when something makes you sick, what, do you, what does it do? And it needs to, you need to separate yourself from that, right? If you eat something that makes you sick, what's going to happen? It's not going to stay down, is it? It's got to come out because you need to be separated from that thing that made you sick. If you were to call me up and said, hey, Cliff, I know you invited us over for, for lunch today. And uh, we're still coming, but I want you to know that me and my whole family, last night we got this virus, and we were up all night long. We had both toilets going, and, and you know, we were, I was, you know, I, I, every 30 minutes I was up running to the bathroom. My wife was up running to the bathroom. It was just a, it was terrible. But we're still coming to your house today for lunch. You know what I'm going to tell you? No, you're not. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang up because I'm afraid I'm going to get it over the phone. Because if someone's sick, 
We don't want to have anything to do with them. We want to be separated. And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, you make me sick. And because you make me sick, I don't want anything to do with you. Jesus was saying, I want to be separated from you. That's some pretty harsh words that he has for the church at Laodicea. And see, one of the things that, that we need to come to grips with and we need to accept as being true is this, that there will come a day when those who are lukewarm will be separated from Jesus forever. If you're living your life and you're not totally sold out to who Jesus wants you to be, but you're trying to kind of just ride this middle track, and you think that just showing up here at church every now and then is going to be enough, there's going to come a time when that lukewarmness, the fact that you weren't completely hot, you weren't completely sold out to who he is, that that lukewarmness will mean that forever and ever for eternity you will be separated from Jesus. Because what Jesus says is if that's the way you're living, you make him sick and he cannot be in the presence of that. He cannot be in the presence of that which makes him sick. Now, those are some harsh words, like I said a while ago. Maybe the harshest that Jesus ever speaks in Scripture. But I want you to look at what he says next. After the harsh words, you go to, to, to verse 17, and Jesus immediately begins to offer a way out for the church at Laodicea and for us if you're living that way. Look at Re Revelation 3.17 says this. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, the first thing that you've got to do is you need to realize who you are. Realize who you really are. The, uh, verse 17 there, it begins with the, the, the church at Laodicea saying, hey, uh, Jesus says, you say I am rich. What you need to understand about the city of Laodicea was one of the richest cities around at that time. It was a banking center. So, so they were, this church, I mean, this, this city financed stuff that was going on at places all over the known world at that time. In fact, let me tell you how rich the city of Laodicea was when it came to, to money and, and stocks and, you know, bonds, and they had a really strong portfolio. This is how, how rich they were. There was, a, there was an earthquake at one time that des destroyed a large portion of the city. And so Rome came in because Rome was the, really who owned everything at that time. And so Rome comes in and says, hey, we'll pay to rebuild the city. And Laodicea, the, the city said, no, we got it. We'll do it ourselves. Now imagine if we had a huge hurricane in South Carolina and the federal government came in and said, we want to give you disaster relief aid. And our governor said, no, we don't want it. That's never going to happen. We're always going to take the federal money. But Laodicea as a city was so rich they had so much going on with their banking that when Rome comes in and tries to pay for it, they say, no, we got it covered. So in verse 17, when Jesus says, hey, you say I am rich, and, and you say that, that, that you don't need anything, what Jesus was saying to them is, listen, you're trusting in your money. You're trusting in, in the, the physical the, the things that you have on this earth to take care of you. But Jesus said, what you need to realize is, is that you're not rich. In fact, you're like a broke homeless dude with a meth addict who can't even find a cardboard box to sleep in tonight. That's what Jesus said to him. I mean, look at the words that he uses there. He says that you're not rich. He says that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
That's about as bad as it gets. And that's what Jesus said was really going on. He said, you're coming to church, you're hanging out, you got all this money, and you think that you've got it all together. But what you don't understand is you need to realize who you really are. You don't have it covered. That you need me. It was, the church at Laodicea was kind of like a, a, you know, if I, if I were to decide that, you know, I, I went out next week and I bought the most expensive electric guitar I could find and the biggest amp and everything, and then I called up David Lee Roth and said, hey, man, I hear Van Halen's out on the road. I'm ready to go, man. I'm going to come tour with y'all, right? That would be stupid because I can't play. And even if I could, it, you know, they're not going to want me, right? And so, but I got all the stuff. I got this stuff, and I'm trusting in this guitar and this amp to make me good enough. And the church at Laodicea, they were saying, we got money. We got it covered. We can pay to build a big church building. We can, we can do all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, uh-uh. That's what you're trusting in? You're like a homeless dude that doesn't have a place to sleep. You're like somebody messed up who, who can't make a, a correct decision for themselves day after day. That's what, that's what you really are. And so, so if we realize who we really are, then what comes next? Well, look at verse 18. Look what Jesus says to them there. So if you realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, the next thing he says is, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now here's what's cool about this verse. The city of Laodicea was known for three things in the world back then. I already told you they were known for being a banking center. They were also known, they produced black wool. They were the largest producer of black wool. And so they would produce this wool and they would send it out all over the place and people would use it to, to make clothes and curtains and all kind of stuff like that. And then the last thing they were known for, they were known as a city, they had come up with this eye medicine that people would use. And it was a kind of an ointment that people would put on their eyes and they would, they would create this stuff and they would send it all out around the known world at that time to people. And so what Jesus does here in verse 18 is he uses the very three things that they have, the very three things that they depend on. He says to them, listen, you can't depend on all your money from your banking and all that kind of stuff. You need to buy from me gold refined in the fire because you're spiritually broke and only I can take care of that. And then he says, you don't need to depend on this black wool that you create. He says, you think that you've got all that together, but you're spiritually naked and you need to get white clothes that you can only get from me. And then he says to him, and all, by the way, you're also spiritually blind and your spiritual blindness cannot be fixed by the eye medicine that you produce in your city. You need to get salve that you put on your eyes that only comes from me and so then you'll be able to see. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He's saying to them, if you're trusting in anything other than me, it's not going to be enough. And he says the same thing to you and to me. What he says to, to us is, if you're trusting in your house, if you're trusting in your job, if you're trusting in your church membership, if you're trusting in your friendships with somebody, if you're trusting in your marriage, if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus to take care of your sin problem, it's not going to work. Look at verse 19. So this is, this is what's going on. Jesus has, has said these harsh words to this church. You make me sick. You're not committed to anything. You're not committed to be against me. You're not committed to be for me. But he says, but I offer you an opportunity to buy from me gold refined in the fire, to accept white clothes from me, 
to, to get salve for your eyes to be able to see. But then in verse 19, he says this. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now I want you to understand something today. That maybe you've been in a situation where you've just kind of been playing a game with Jesus. And you've been playing a game with church. And you show up here and then you go off from here and, and nothing that goes on after here, none of your deeds would people even be able to recognize the fact that you're a follower of Christ. Jesus says to you today, listen, the only reason I'm being so hard on you, the only reason I'm telling you that, I, that you make me sick is because I love you. The people that I love are the ones that I take the time to do this to. That's what Jesus is telling the church at Laodicea. And he's telling you that today. I cannot explain to you because, because I don't even totally understand it. I cannot explain to you how much Jesus loves you. The fact that the fact that he died for you is not even enough to get you to understand that because it wasn't just a normal death. It was an unbelievably painful death full of suffering. And he willingly did that for you, but it wasn't even just the physical suffering. It was so much more than that. The fact that he took on the sin of the world. That's how much he loves you. And he says there in verse 19, those whom I love I rebuke and I discipline. And I think it's interesting, if you look at verse 15, the first four words of, of verse 15, remember, were this, I know your deeds. And then the first words of verse 17 are, you say. And what happens so many times is in church, you hear so many times, you hear God speaking to you. And he says, I know your deeds, and you answer with, yeah, but I say this. I know your deeds, yeah, but, but God, I... I got this all together. I know your deeds. Yeah, but, but I'm going to church a couple times a month. I know your deeds. Yeah, but I, I gave extra money when they were had an offering one time for a church start. But Jesus knows what's really going on. And he knows whether you're cold or you're hot or whether you're trying to walk down the middle and be lukewarm. And then in verse 20, he says this. And this is where... You need to respond today. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is standing at the door of your life, at the door of your heart, at the door of your home. And he's knocking. And understand this. Understand who this letter was written to. See, Jesus is big enough that if he wants to, he doesn't have to knock. He can blow the doors off its hinges. He did that for a guy named Paul. I don't know if you remember that story. He blew the door off of his life. But here was the deal with Paul. Paul wasn't lukewarm. Paul was completely opposed to Jesus. And I believe, now I could be wrong, but I believe that Jesus will blow the doors off the people's lives who are completely opposed to them to get his attention. But for those of us who are in church all the time that hear the message over and over and over again and you continue to reject him and that are lukewarm, he chooses not to blow the doors off your life. Instead, he knocks. And it's a steady knocking. 
And what happens is when you hear the knocking of Jesus at your heart's door, the first time you hear it, it's loud. It's like somebody pounding on your door in the middle of the night and it wakes you up and it gets your attention. But if you respond by the knocking on the door by saying, hey, I'm rich. I got it all together. And Jesus says, yeah, but I know your deeds. And then the next time you hear the knocking, it's a little bit softer than it was that first time. And you respond with, yeah, but I go to church. And Jesus says, yes, but I know your deeds. I know what's really going on in your life. Then the next time you hear the knocking, it'll be even lighter than it was the second time. And then every time that you don't open the door, every time that you send Jesus away and you reject him, the next time he knocks, it's lighter and lighter and lighter. He's still knocking. But what happens is the more you reject him, the harder it is for you to hear his knocking. Until one day, he's knocking at your door and you can't even hear it. Don't get to that point. This is what I want you to do. And I want you to really think about this. I want you to evaluate yourself right now. And if there is any doubt in your mind of whether or not you are hot, you are totally committed, completely sold out to Jesus, that he has saved you and you know it, if you've got any doubt about that at all, I don't want you to walk away from this place today wondering. So I'm, our staff guys are going to come stand down here at the front. The music's going to continue to play. And I want you to come down and talk with them about your spiritual condition. Because let me tell you something. There's a verse in Scripture that every time I read it, it almost gives me cold chills. It's where Jesus says to a group of people who all thought that they were following and doing what they were supposed to do that God wanted them to. And Jesus says to them, some of you, when you die, you're going to come to heaven and Jesus is going to say to you, I don't know who you are. And they're going to say, yeah, but we served you. We did all this stuff. And he's going to say, go away. I don't know you. I'm going to pray. As I pray, you think about what's going on. And then we're going to have a time for you to come down and, uh, and make a decision. So our guys are going to come up here while I pray. And, and then I'll pray for us. And then I'm not going to talk a whole lot else. But let's stand together as I pray. Father God, as I read the letter to the church at Laodicea, it just it reminds me of who we are as Christians here in Greenville County, South Carolina. We can be so comfortable in our attendance and in our giving and our service and really miss out on the fact that it's about giving our lives to you and allowing you to do whatever it is that you want. So, Father, I pray if there's anybody in here right now that needs to give their life to you, if they're unsure at all about whether they have been forgiven of sin and are saved and are followers of you, I pray that they would come right now. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just keep your heads bowed as people have time to respond. And you come. Don't wait on someone else to come first. You come on.